Founder Quest Extreme Edition. Brace yourself for the number one rated daytime bootstrap SaaS Honey Badger theme podcast in the Pacific Northwest. This is Founder Quest. I just gonna dive on in there. I'm so eager. I'm so excited. It's, it's actually kind of weird because, you know, Star is the one that typically starts us off. Yeah, I see. I thought we were just going to start with our just general banter and then like not in- introduce the guest for like until like 30 minutes later, you know, like oh, by the way, is also our tradition. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're where we say like, oh, if, by the way, if star doesn't sound like star. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Today's star doesn't sound like star because today's star is Mike Mondragon instead. Hey, Welcome, Mike. Mike. Hey. Mike is a longtime friend of the show and friend of the founders. Actually, Mike, how long have we known each other? It's been at least 10, maybe 15. Probably 2007, a Seattle RB. Okay. I was going to say, like, you two have known each other much longer than I've even known Ben. So you go, you go back. Way back. Yeah. Because I think Ben and I met in like 2009 or something. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Mike and so, I have been hanging out for a long time. We've, yeah. we've known each other through many, many different jobs and uh, contracts and so on. It's been, it's been awesome. Yeah, Mike, I feel like I've, I've heard your name since, yeah, for like the last at least 10 years. I'm just working with Ben. You've always been kind of like in the background. And this is like, the, we've realized this is like the first time we've actually like met face to face, which is crazy, but it's great to, uh, yeah, have a yeah. face to put with a little, what is it, a cat avatar? Is it, is it a cat in your avatar? You've had that avatar for a really long time, I feel like. Yeah, that's, that's Wallace. So I'm Mond on GitHub and Twitter. And that cat avatar is uh, our tuxedo cat, Wallace. And he is geriatric now. Hopefully he'll live another year. And if you remember in that that era of Ruby, like all of the Japanese Rubyists had like cat icons. And mm-hmm. so that was, I don't know, that's why Wallace is my icon. Yeah. Nice. So, so do Wallace and Gorbipov know each other? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're like best friends, right? I mean, like they, they had to have met at Seattle RB. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> They're internet friends. Internet friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Mike is old school Ruby. Way back, way back, yeah. The other funny thing about the, the old Rubyists, all those uh, Japanese Rubyists, I remember from RubyConf Denver, was that 2007? Somewhere around there. I remember going to that and like, there were Matt's and a bunch of friends were sitting up at the front and they all had these miniature laptops. Like I've never seen laptops so small, but they're like, I don't know what they were, like nine inch screens or something mm. crazy. I was like, how do you even type on that thing? It was, but like, it was a, it's a thing, so I guess, I don't know. They were, I haven't been to Japan, but... They were laptops that cool. you could only get in Japan and they, they flashed them with some sort of Linux, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wonder how long it took them to compile C on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so and, when, you know, about the orbit with the founders. So I think I, I w- put in my notes that I in, consider myself like a sliver of a honey badger. In that I did have a conversation with Ben about being about joining the company. And then in 2017, I did do a little contracting with you guys, which is kind of ironic in that. So we're probably going to talk about cryptocurrencies in, in Bitcoin. <laughs> so 
the Bitcoin protocol is on essentially on a, a four-year timer. And in 2017 was the last time that we were building up to, I guess, an explosive end to the, to that to that cycle. Mm-hmm. And I had just I had just been working at Salesforce at desk.com and I left because of Bitcoin. And then this year, four years later, I again just left Salesforce, but I just left from Heroku. And it wasn't, I didn't leave so much because of Bitcoin. I just got a a better opportunity. And I'm a a principal engineer at at Okta, and I'm in the developer experience working on SDKs, primarily the Golang SDK. So I think one of the things that they were happy about was that I had experience carrying the pager and knowing what that's like. And they wanted to have an experienced engineer that would have empathy for for the engineers to to main the SDK. So I'm like really excited to be here because I'm not going to be carrying the pager and it is like kind of like the fun programming. The what I imagine listening to the the founders about the the kind of fun programming that you guys get to do working with different languages and whatnot. So like obviously right now I'm starting out with Golang. We don't mm-hmm. have a we don't have a Ruby SDK cuz OmniAuth OmniAuth provider is the thing that most people use. There's also PHP and and some Java. So I'm just like looking forward to being able to do a bunch of different languages. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We don't know anything about SDK teams, honey badger, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it sounds like you're, it sounds like we have very similar, you know, very similar jobs at the moment. So that's, that's cool. We'll have to, we'll have to trade tips at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited that you're there because I'm definitely going to hit you up on Mm -hmm. the SAML stuff because Samuel's a pain in the tuckus. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll have some insights well, from your from your time there. Well, that was the that was the how I even how I was even open-minded to talking to Okta was the recruiter contacted me. And I think it, actually it was the recruiter, like I don't know like the structure of how this works, but a lot of companies have like a like a recruiter, like a prospecting recruiter. And I think that a veteran-oriented prospecting recruiter contacted me. And so being a veteran, I'll usually entertain those cold calls. And so then when I was at Desk, I wrote, so Desk was a big Rails monolith. I wrote a microservice to break some of the SSO off of off of the monolith itself. And in writing the API documentation that was on desk.com, I actually used Okta as one of the examples as a as a SSO identity provider using SAML. So, so yeah, I I have had a little bit of experience from the outside <laughs> of Okta with SAML, and so maybe I'll have more experience here to answer your questions. Yeah, that'll be awesome. We'll have to we'll have you have you back, and we can just do a whole hour on on that. It's, yeah, after it's after we do an hour on SDKs, <laughs> <laughs> have you back for multiple yeah. multiple visits? <laughs> yeah, and your code that you wrote for us still lives on. Yeah, I, was yeah. it the uh, the Webpack? That was some of the work, right? Some of it you yep. did. Yeah, I was and some uh, GitHub integration work and the integrations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, with the GitHub integration, it's like I did do some GitHub integration. And it kind of tickled your enthusiasm, Ben. And then I think like you went in and like refactored that a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, if you have a, a monolith like we do that's been around for as long as ours has, things don't. It's like the was it a thesis ship? You know, it's, it goes around the world, but you replace things as it goes, and it's, yeah. it's never the same app, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was that's like All the right. thing. 
we had kind of discussed this in the prelude around like just software engineering in general and how hard it is to maintain a monolith, especially as as a company grows and as developers come roll in into a project, you get all of these over time, you get engineers with different different goals, different techniques, different styles of touching your code base to the point that it, it becomes very hard to to maintain a project. And I think, I don't know if we're going to talk about Heroku at all, but I think that Heroku suffers from a little bit of, of that, where there's like very few original Heroku that are involved on in the runtime, at least. And I just came from being on the runtime in the control plane. And definitely like the code base there is like, there's like maybe one or two people that are still around that have, have touched that code base like from the beginning. So yeah, let's let's dive into that. Cause that's that's fascinating to me. I know that it's been chatter on Twitter recently that you know people feel that Heroku's kind of stagnated. They haven't really brought a lot of innovative stuff to market recently. I remember actually a kind of funny story I'm gonna tell on myself. I can't remember what year this was. It was way must I don't know, I don't know, two thousand early two thousands. I was sitting as part of a focus group. And I can't, I can't reveal a lot of information because you know secrecy and stuff. But anyway, I was part of this focus group, and I was asked as part of this group, like, what as a developer working on Ruby applications and Rails applications, what I thought about this new thing called Heroku. And that you know had explained to me like, oh, you just get push and blah blah blah. And I was like, I kind of poo pooed the idea. I was like, nah, I, I'm not interested. <laughs> Because like I already know how to deploy stuff. Like I've got Mongrel. I was, was going to say Mongrel. <laughs> <laughs> I I know how to use you know SCP. Like why why do I need this? Like like nah, yeah. never going to catch on. <laughs> and so so don't follow me for investing advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got so, my Linodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or even back then, it's like I wrote all all, all my own chef, so I got my own recipes. So I can just right, spin exactly. up bare metal at, at will. <laughs> exactly. So, so what do you what do you think? Like you've you've been at Heroku, you've seen this process of like people having to maintain this code base over a long period of time. What what are some tips for people who might be a little earlier on the process that you looking down the road? Like, what do you suggest people think about for ma- having a more maintainable application? That's interesting. I really think that it is there is not like one one size fits all. And and actually, like some of the things that are specific to Heroku and actually to to Desk.com when I was there previously, the some of the issues like actually stem from from Salesforce culture and the way that Salesforce manages its businesses. And so I guess I guess like the thing that I've always liked about Rails specifically is that the conventions that are used in Rails, it's like you can you can drop a, an experienced Rails developer pretty much into any 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 Rails app, and they're going to know like the basic conventions. And that saves you so much time to r- ramping up and bringing your experience into a project. Whereas when you get into like bespoke software, then, then you run into like, well, what were the architectural design patterns like 10 years ago compared to now? How much drift has there been in libraries and, and the language, like depending? And so that is, that's a, a very hard question to to nail down in a specific way. I would just say I would say in in spitballing this, conventions are very important. I would say 
So as long as you have a conventions using a, a framework, then I think that you'll get to go a long ways. However, if you start to use a framework, then you get the the everything is a nail, and I'm going to use my hammer framework on on that, which is its own thing that I've seen in in Ruby, where it's like if you if you are if you start a project with with Rails, I don't think everybody realizes this, but you are essentially going to be doing a type of software development that is like in the mindset of Basecamp, right? And if you if you have amp, an app that is not quite like Basecamp, and then you start to try to extending Rails to do something different, then you're going to start running into issues. And I think that I'm. It makes me sad when I hear people talk um, poorly about Rails because oftentimes it's like people are just kind of like pushing it into a direction that that it's not built to do. Whether they're like in the old days, like monkey patching libraries or 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 whatnot. So. Yeah, I think we we saw that with well the rise of Elixir in Phoenix, right? You know, Jose just got frustrated with the wanting to do some real time stuff, and that really wasn't the wheelhouse for Rails, right? And so he went and built Elixir. Phoenix was built on top of that, and that became a better hammer for that particular nail than <laughs> than Rails, right? So so now you come into if you come into a new project, you're like, well, I'm going to do a lot of highly concurrent stuff. Well, okay, maybe Rails isn't the best solution. Maybe you should go look at Elixir and, and Phoenix instead. Yeah. 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 So like on on the, the with Heroku, I I I just want to say that like I it was like so awesome to work at Heroku and the day that I got a job offer to work there it was like I still like if I'm having a, a bad day I still think about that and like the I've never used like uh, hard drugs but I can I would think that like somebody that is like on a cocaine high that's probably what I was feeling when I when I when I got the offer from Heroku it's like you know I started using Heroku in 2009 and it has the story it's it has a story within our community is highly respected and so I just want to want to say that I, I still think very highly of Heroku. And like if I was to be doing just like a throwaway project and I just wanted to write some code and do a git push main or git git push Heroku main, then I would definitely do that. And we were I and I'm not very experienced with the other kinds of like competitors right now. I think like you pointed to me at is it Vercel and and, mm -hmm. and render. And render. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I can't really speak to them. I can really just like speak to Heroku and some of the very specific things that go on there. I think I think one of the issues that Heroku suffers from is not the technology itself, but like just the Salesforce environment. Because at sales at Salesforce, everything eventually has to be blue, right? And so Heroku Heroku, I don't think they ever could really figure out the right thing to do with Heroku. As well as the other thing about enterprise software is that, you know, if I'm selling Salesforce like Service Cloud or whatever, I'm selling essentially I'm selling seats of soft uh, seats of uh, software licenses and there's no big margin in selling commute, compute because if I'm buying compute, I expect to be using that and as a salesperson, I'm not incented to sell Heroku that much because there's just not margins for me in, in, in the incentive structure that they have for at sales within Salesforce. I think that's the, the, the biggest thing that Heroku has going against it is that it's living in a Salesforce environment. And as, as I guess, like a owner of Salesforce, being that I have Salesforce stock, I would hope that they would maximize their profits 
and actually like sell the Heroku, sell Heroku. Like who knows, like maybe a bunch of developers get together and actually buy the brand and spin that off. That would be, that would be like the best thing because I think that Salesforce would probably realize, realize a lot more value out of Heroku just by doing that, even if there's like some sort of profit sharing and then not have to deal with all the other things that, that, that they're, they're dealing with. So. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, the thing about billing, you know, and selling per user versus the compute—that's definitely a different world. It's a totally different mindset. And I think Josh, that we have now been given a directive that we should acquire Haruku as part of. I was going to say, like, maybe we can acquire it with all of our Doge profits <laughs> in like five or ten years from now. Well, yeah, somebody somebody spin up a Haruku coin, like a ERC twenty token on Ethereum. And get everybody like to dump their Ethereum into this token, mm-hmm. you know, get that pot of money together. And, and then that is like a, oh, yeah, like, like a foundation. group, group yeah. buy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I like and that's it. The, yeah. Yeah. That's the, the Heroku foundation that buys the Heroku brand. I mean, I know that this, we're kind of laughing about it, but actually this is like what is possible today. And I was telling Ben well, let me just say a couple of things about the Founder Quest and and how it relates to me is like I've been listening to Founder Quest from the first episode and you know, I'm like a I'm an only child and I like to listen to podcasts, so I'll be on my on my afternoon walk and I'll be hearing you guys talk and I'm like having this conversation with you, along with you guys listening to podcasts. And so I think in in January you guys were talking about or maybe Ben was talking about $30,000 Bitcoin and you, you guys just had your yucks and laughs about it. And it actually made me think kind of critically about this, you know, cause I've, I've been involved with Bitcoin since about 2012 and it's like, am, do I have, a, do I have a tinfoil hat on and, or what do I think? And so I, I'm I'm not joking about this. Like listening to you guys actually has helped me concretely come up with like what my how I feel about this. And first off, I w- I think I'm bullish on technology. And this is like the first epiphany that I had is like all of us have had a career close to Linux, close to Ruby, you know, building backend services, close to virtualization and or- orchestration. Fortunately, that's been my interest, and fortunately, that's been where our industry has gone. And so when Bitcoin came out as technologists, like you, all you ever hear, if you don't know anything about Bitcoin, you just hear currency and you're thinking, you know, like internet money. It's like, you're not thinking about this as a technologist. And so that was the thing. It's like, I, I wish that Bitcoin had been talked about as like a platform or a framework or, and not mm-hmm. even called it coin. Cause that like confuses the issue. The coin, the whole coin thing, like just, yeah. Yeah, totally. In mining, the metaphors that alone just totally throws everything off. Because I mean, we are talking, we're we're laughing about it, but this is like really possible today. We could come up with a foundation to buy Heroku with a cryptocurrency. Yeah, so that's one thing that Ben helped me helped me realize in in my thinking around around Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And I think like I'm just bullish on technology, and so. To me, you know, again, across our career, there's been like so much change and and why would we why would we look at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies any differently than any kind of other kind of technology? It's like, 
you know, like even like a hundred dollar bill with all the holograms on it is that is a kind of financial technology. And so we're just talking about a, a digital technology. Not we're not talking about 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 coins, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's like the appeal of a lot of the altcoins, right? Like they they give everyone a way to like invest in those companies, you know. Whereas before you would have to whatever like be an accredited investor or something to be able to get involved. Is that is that part of the like part of the appeal? I'm probably showing like what I know about crypto, which is very little. But I'm excited to like yeah, maybe you can yeah yeah. yeah. So I I kind of feel like I feel like these projects are kind of like I'm not not a VC and I'm not an insider but from what i can see from afar like in silicon valley there's this there's a closed group of people that have access to all, all of these ideas and there's like like angel clubs and vc clubs and whatnot that are funding these these startups and to me i feel like these these crypto projects are are the same kind of thing except for they're just available to the public and so I think like if I was like speaking to another technologist that was like interested in cryptocurrencies is you probably need to get your hands on some of the technology in order to get experience with it. And so if that means like you figure out how to like maybe mine some coin on your laptop or whatever, or you actually pay for it, you should at least have some in in your possession and kind of at least learn about the custodian custodial part of it. Also, you know, the there's different software libraries now to actually do programming against it. And it's like, and and platforms, I believe. So that'd be like another way to, you know, at least tickle your curiosity is by actually touching the technology and not like thinking about the the value. So yeah. To me, that's uh, one of the most interesting things about the whole coin thing. My my younger son is really interested in the crypto space in the coin and in the other parts of a distributed ledger and, and what does that mean and how does that work? And like he was, before I before I heard about NFTs, he was talking about NFT and I was like, and so it's really interesting to me to see like this coming from him. Like, he, like just yesterday we had a conversation about CRDTs, right? Because we're talking about, well, how do you, how do you merge transactions that are happening in a distributed fashion, right? And I was like, oh yeah, let's, and it's, it's so weird to have, you know, my teenage son's world colliding with my world and, you know, yeah. in this, in this way, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And I, well, I got to say, Mike, I got to give you, give you back some credit talking about the whole coin thing. Like as, as you've heard, like we're pretty coin skeptical here at Honey Badger, the founders, but, but you made, you made a comment in, in our, in our pre-show conversation and maybe you didn't make this explicitly, but maybe it's just the way that I heard it. But I think, well, what I heard was, and maybe you actually said this, was basically like, think about think about this like a like an index fund, right? You just you put dollar cost averaging, right? You put some money into coin, you put a little bit. It's not going to be your whole portfolio, right? But you just, you know, you don't treat it like a like a gamble. You just treat it like like an investment, like you would other other things that may appreciate in value, and of course, you may not. And so, as a result. I decided, okay, I can do that. I can put a little bit of my portfolio into coins. So just this week, this is the funny part. Just this week. I'm just finding this out now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Josh is like, I told my wife about this last night. She's like, what's Josh going to say? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, just this week, I put a little bit of money into Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum. And like, that was, <laughs> when, when did Elon do his thing about Bitcoin? Was that Thursday morning? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I bought 
two hours before Elon did his thing and Bitcoin the lost like 15% of its value. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. So I'm just you, putting it. You, you don't, your, yeah, you don't sell. It doesn't matter. What was your emotion? What was your emotion? Did you have emotions? Like, uh, yeah, well, totally. Yeah. Like I, I, in fact, my first buy, I use Coinbase and Coinbase is like, well, do you want to do this periodically? I'm like, yes, I do. Every month. Boom. Oh. I went ahead and set that up. Like, so yeah. Oh, I did not know you could do that. Okay. I'm in it to win it, man. You should yeah, get, like, get a hardware wallet now. That's the next thing is like, you need to learn how to do handle your own custody. So right, yeah, you got it. Yeah, not leave it on the exchange. <laughs> get those, uh, get those hard drives. Yeah, um, yeah. Ben, Ben's like a veteran indexer, though, so you, you you can you can handle some dips, some some volatility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually I did make some money off of uh, Bitcoin back in the day, and probably if I would have just held on to it, I would have made a lot more, of course. But I like Same. accidentally. Cause I like back, I don't know when this was, it was like maybe like five years ago or something when bit, I like Bitcoin was going through one of its first, like early, like hype cycles. And I was like, I'll check it. Like I was, you know, learning about it, of course. And so I went and bought some and I, you know, I think I like ran like a, a blockchain Elixir app that someone made to see like, you know, how the transactions work and stuff. I read some books on on Bitcoin, but I bought, I bought like some Bitcoin. I can't remember how much, but just like left it. I think it was, I think this was like after Coinbase had launched. I'm pretty sure I bought it through Coinbase, but yeah, I just left it. And then that was when it was in the first like huge push of Bitcoin where, where it went up to like 20,000 or something. And I, I remember that I had it and like, I went and looked and like, oh yeah, I made like, you know, like five grand or something. And it was like, you know, I put like hardly anything into it initially. So I forget what I actually bought with that money. Like I just sold it and like, it's like, cool, free money. <laughs> oh, so you just sold it this year or you sold it? No, I sold it. I sold it like back. In I think 17. I sold it at like 20. Yeah, I was in seven. This would have been like in 17 that I actually sold it probably. Did you, so did you report it on your taxes, your capital gains? I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah that's, I, that's the benefit of having an accountant because your accountant reminds you. You know what? You did have some Bitcoin transactions. You should probably look. Can at I that. can I say on here that I actually put some of it through a Bitcoin Tumblr though, just to see what those how those work? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that was like a very small it. amount of money, but I didn't actually report that on my taxes because I think I like actually forgot where it was or something. So <laughs> you have to explain what a Bitcoin Tumblr is. So a Bitcoin Tumblr. Well, I'll try and then maybe um, Mike might explain it better. But like a Bitcoin Tumblr is like basically like how you anonymize your Bitcoin transact. Like if you have some Bitcoin and you want to use it for like, you want to like buy some drugs on the dark web or something, you go and you send your Bitcoin to this Tumblr and then it distributes it to a bunch of random Bitcoin addresses that it gives you. And then you have those addresses and they're anonymized because they've been like sent through a bunch of people's wallets or something like that. Yep. That's basically it. So, so it's like it's basically push, push like button a, money laundering. Yeah, it's laundering. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but if you're so, like pri if your privacy, I mean, okay. Yeah, so. no, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because like part of the part of the like appeal of Bitcoin to some people is like, oh yeah, like money, like credit card tra transactions are so like you know the governments are like recording them and stuff. Like the NSA probably has a database of them. So like Bitcoin is anonymous, but it's not. Like it's it's right. not anonymous and. Yeah, so that's why people do this, right? Yeah, well, that, I mean, to me, that's like, if you want to, so the value of Bitcoin, if you want to get bullish on the value of Bitcoin, it's like, 
traditional the traditional alec is is like yeah the silk road was going on and there's all this illegal yeah. stuff going on therefore it must be bad but actually to me that's like the thing you know it's good if there's illicit stuff going on because like what's the number one currency that's used right now for illicit transactions it's dirty us dollar bills <laughs> and if you're like a yeah. if you're like a drug dealer in in central south america you are collecting dollar bills in the United States. You're paying some sort of some sort of uh, transport, probably at like 10, 15% cost to get that get those dollars back to wherever you're gonna hold them. And so if you're using Bitcoin, you're probably not gonna pay that that fee. So mm-hmm. to me, it's like, okay, that actually proves, at least in my mind, that there is value. That there's it's being used, right? So yeah, and you but, also you don't want to see like I mean like some people are like you know fanatics about cash going away, even just because you know as more people do like move to digital transactions, whether it's just like through like you know whatever traditional networks or through crypto, like people are using less and less cash, and you know I think like whatever like Richard like Stallman like won't you know he he pays for everything in cash still because he doesn't want like you know he thinks that cash is going to go away someday and that's a i mean that is that's a problem for privacy because you want you like you do want a private a way to pay for things in private in some cases yeah my my only real beef with with bitcoin well aside from the whole like requiring power plants just to do a transaction is that there is badger coin this this company that is named Honey Badger. <laughs> is, is, it's all about Bitcoin. And they have these ATMs in Canada. And we we constantly get support requests this, from people. Yeah, is this oh, the really? reason? Is this the reason that we're so like we're so down? We've been so down on cryptocurrencies in the past. <laughs> so. Because like ever since the beginning, like since people started making coins, like Badger Coin came out, and then it's like it's been like our primary exposure, to be honest. Like it really has been. throughout the like for like the past I don't know how many years it's been like what has it been like six been like, to eight yeah, years six, yeah something like that I'd say so you should send them an invoice and they actually maybe they'll yeah uh, so so what happens is they have they have these kiosks where you can buy Bitcoin right you put your real money in and you get your fake money out right <laughs> and the the name on the top of the kiosk is Honey Badger so someone you know puts in some money real money and they don't get their fake money, then all of a sudden they're upset, right? And so yeah. they, for whatever reason, like it doesn't go through, right? I don't know how this works. Like I've never bought Bitcoin at a kiosk, but so they're like, okay, Honey Badger. And so they like Google Honey Badger and the first result for Honey Badger is us. And so they're like, oh, here's a phone number I can call. And they call us and they're like, where's my Bitcoin? It's like, I really can't <laughs> They do. You stole I, my Bitcoin. It's like, no, that's that's not us. <laughs> something just occurred to me. Like, I wonder, I, I wonder like how many of them are just confused over the fact that like like Bitcoin transactions can take a while to arrive now, right? Like it's 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 not always instantaneous where it used to be a lot faster, but like now I know that it can take a while to clear. So I wonder like how many of those people are like emailing us in the in the like span. Maybe that's why they eventually always go away and like we don't hear from them again. <laughs> uh, maybe it's not that they're getting help, but it's just that they're their bitcoins are arriving (laughs) yeah like i I have a feeling like there's some sort of like this is like regular i'm guessing these are like mostly regular like normies using and interacting with this very highly technical product and experience and even if you're going up to what you're walking up to a kiosk but it's still like there's still a highly technical aspect of it that like 
like you said, uh, Mike, people are thinking coin, like they're thinking like they're the way this maps their brain is just like, it's like dollar bills. So like, you know, they're looking at it like an ATM. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to think when it comes to cryptocurrency and the technology, I don't want to think about what the, I don't want to think about, have to think about custody or any of that other kinds of stuff. It's like, it'll, it'll be successful when, when I'm, when I'm, I'm, it just is happening. I'm not, not thinking about it. I don't know all of the different mobile devices, but I do carry an iPhone. And so it, the, the wallet on the iPhone is pretty seamless now. Right. And so I'm not thinking about, I'm not thinking about how that technology is working. I mean, I had to set up, I had to associate like a, an Amex with it originally. Once I've done that, then all I do is click my, my button to pay and you know, there, there you go. And, and so I do think that the, Cryptocurrency technology has a long way to go towards that because you know if people if normal people normal people the non nerds have to think about it then you know it's not gonna it's not gonna be useful because in the in the end people humans use tools right and so whatever the tool is they're gonna use it especially if it's easy and it makes their life easier. So what I really want to know, Mike, is what are your feelings about Dogecoin? Are you bullish on Doge? I, I'll answer that, but I I wanted to come back to the 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 bit about the NFT and and just talking about like the the possibilities with with technology and I think that you guys could ha- I think that you guys could profit from this. You'll have to oh, do, like do some more research, but I think what you could do. See, I love the origin story of Honey Badger and. Maybe not everybody knows about the Honey Badger meme from what is when? When was this? 2000? 2012, 2011, yeah. something like that. Okay, so not everybody knows about about the meme. Go just, I guess, go Google. Uh, yeah, link it up. So it's notes. long. It's long dead. This meme is long dead. So okay, you got to well, go dig it up. Awesome! I still love it. It is so. There's so many facets of this that I love. The first one is is that. Can I can I name names on competitors and the origins? Of course. Okay. So the first one was is that Airbreak, an exception reporting service, was doing a poor job with their customer service. And you guys were like, we're working on this project. We need exception reporting. It's not working. It's like, well, can we just take their library and build our own back end? Right. And to me, that is like beautiful. And in thinking about this episode, it's like and and Heroku, it's like the same the same opportunity lies for a, an aspiring developer out there where you could just take the Heroku CLI and point it at your own false backend until you figure out all of the API calls that happen. And I don't know, you have it backed by Kubernetes or whatever orchestration framework is. There is the possibility that you could do the same Honey Badger story with the Airbreak um, SDK as as there is with the Heroku CLI. So that's like the first thing I love about the the Honey Badger story, and the fact the name goes along with the fact that Airbreak had poor customer support, and you guys just were like, "F it, we're gonna build our own exception reporting service." Now. In the modern context with NFTs is I have like old man kind of experience with NFTs in that GIFs or GIFs and JPEGs, it's like 
this is like BS that people are are gouging this for for profit. However, the technology of the NFT, NFT this is the thing that I think is is beautiful is that and I'm not sure which which of the NFTs does this, but there is the possibility that you could be the originator of a digital object and then you sell that digital object and then as that as that digital object um, is traded, then you as the i guess the original the original creator you can get a percentage of the sales for the lifetime of that digital asset and i'm not sure which of the nfts allows that but that is like one of the things was one of the value propositions in an nft so what i was thinking is is like if you guys did an nft on the shah of the original honey badger ruby sdk check in that this could be like the thing that you guys have an experiment with is like to, you know, you have like real skin in the game. You're playing with the technology and see if that works. And and let me know if you do that because I might try to try to buy it. <laughs> we'll see. Well, <laughs> we've already got a buyer. Like, why wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So indeed. Yeah. See, I, I was thinking like maybe we could like you, you could like own various errors or something in Honey Badger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever digital signature you want to, yeah. you want to, whatever you want to sign, and then assign value mm-hmm. to. We yeah. could, yeah, we could NFT our exceptional creatures. Yeah, have you seen that, Mike? Have you seen that project? Yep, yep. Okay. I'm well aware of that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. What, what about like open source maintainers, right? Let's say you have this project, and someone really wants a uh, particular feature, right? Or they're really happy about a particular feature that you've already done, right? You could sell them that Shaw, that commit, that put it into, into main, right? Yeah, totally. Like, hey, you are the proud owner of this, of this feature. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I was hoping that I would come with some ideas. I hope, I hope someday in the future that I run into somebody and it's like, oh, we heard that podcast where, where ideas were free ideas that were worth a lot of money were thrown about. And I mm. did this project and now I'm retired. Thank you, Mike. Wait, so Ben, are you saying that like, so as a committer, so say I like commit something to Rails, like submit a PR. So then like I, I own that PR if once it's merged and it would be like, I could sell that then to someone. Is that no, along no, the lines I'm of what you're saying? Like the, the, the owner of the project. So, you know, if you commit something to Rails, then, and you're really excited about it and th- you for some reason want to have like a trophy of that right. or a plaque on the wall, right? Then the Rails core group could sell you that Okay, token, gotcha. That trophy, that certificate. Like, yep, you this is your thing. Commissioned by like it's like naming a star. Right? Yeah. You, you buy the rights to a star name. Like, who can I mean it's it's like fake stuff, right? We're naming stars, but that's the same idea. Yeah, so right? so this is I'm I'm thinking like so you could use that same idea to like incentivize open source contributions. So like if you make the PR to Rails and it gets merged, you get this NFT for the yep. for the for the PR merge, which you could then actually profit for if it was like, you know, say it was like, I don't know, TurboLinks or something. Like, you know, like whatever years later when it's like a huge thing and everyone is Rails using in Rails is using it, maybe Mike's going to come along and be like, "Hey, I'll buy, you know, I want to own the, you know, the PR for TurboLinks." Yeah, and of course, then you as the owner would also profit from any uh sale between parties later on too. You'd get that little percentage. <laughs> yeah. Well, so when somebody yeah. comes up with committer coin, 
Uh, just remember me. I want an airdrop of some committer coin. For we have a name. We've we've got a name for it. <laughs> Commit coin. I've got a new weekend project ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, like that helps me understand NFTs. So. Yeah, I I really like the idea of being able to sell ownership rights to a digital asset. That I think is a good idea. I don't know that the current implementation that we see on the news is a great implementation of that idea like buying the rights for a copy of a jpeg like uh, feels kind of sketchy to me but like maybe there's some sort of i don't know pdf document that has some sort of value for some reason and you can give that sell that to someone you know and they they and to me it's it's not so much about the the profit or the transaction it's the ownership like you can say, like, I am the owner of this thing. Yeah, there can be copies all over the place, but I'm the person that has the ownership, quote unquote, of this thing. Yeah, yeah. But then you got to define value, Ben. Like, what is what is value? Okay, so like what makes a PDF more valuable than a JPEG? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, back to like the, bring this back to like Doge, Dogecoin and value propositions and whatnot. It's like, you know, what is valuable when you're talking about the value of a JPEG, this reminded me of a conversation I was having with my son. He's 10 years old and he like wanted some money to buy. I don't know what it was. And like, like old man voice came out of me. It's like, you know, that's BS. I don't think that's valuable. And he like looked at me and it's like, it's valuable to me. And it's like, oh, you just put a dagger in my heart. I just, I'm killing your dream. And, and one, and one person's value may not be another person's value. So on the Dogecoin, that's interesting. The Dogecoin is very interesting to me because I feel like I'm in a quantum state with uh, Dogecoin where it is a joke, <laughs> but at the same time, it, apparently it has value, and I don't know where I I don't know where I stand on that on that threshold. I know how to trade Dogecoin, and I know the behavior of Dogecoin, and the behavior is from a from a trading standpoint has changed substantially in the last like six months. You know, before it was like a pump and dump kind of thing. Well, actually, mm -hmm. you know what? When Dogecoin was first created, actually, it did show it, its purpose was highlighted by the community. People out in podcast land don't realize this, but I'm wearing a 2017 Dogecoin sh shirt from when the Dogecoin community sponsored the number 98 NASCAR. And that was like the thing of the community is like, oh, we have all this money and we're just being altruistic and we're giving it away. And so they were exercising their belief with this, with this currency, right? And so in from then till now it's like there was a bit of a cycle to dogecoin where you know you could if you acquired dogecoin for say like under 100 satoshis you know this is the dogecoin btc pair it's like that was actually a good buy just wait for the next pump when somebody does something and and dogecoin goes over 2 or 300 satoshis and then you dump it and that's basically what I what I did on this in the last six months. It's like, you know, I had a small bag of, of Dogecoin waiting for the next pump and dump. And and I actually did that, but it kept on it kept on getting pumped and then it would stabilize. And then and then now we're at the point where apparently Elon Musk and um, Mark Cuban are saying that there's value to it. And to me, I actually I actually put a lot of credence to that because these are two public persons that they cannot, if they're pumping things in, in the public domain, 
then they have risk, right? And so you can't be those two people and be pumping and not run the risk of like the FTC in the of the United States government coming in and saying, hey, why were you doing this? So there, there's the, I guess like the, the for me, like what, what is a bit of, a small bit of a guarantee that there maybe there is something to do. Yeah. See, the, the way I think when you first started, you were saying, you know, it is a joke, but it, you're in like this dual state. And I, the, my initial or immediate thought was like, it is a joke, but this is the internet and the internet loves to make silly things real. <laughs> yeah. Especially these yeah. days. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah pretty pretty funny for all those people that made a bunch of money on GameStop, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's the thing is, is like, and Dogecoin, Doge is is a, a, itself from a meme from the same time yeah. period as as Honey Badger, right? The right. you know the do- doggy, right? So the other thing, the other thing I don't understand, or the thing that I understand, but I don't know how to quantify it for myself is that to me so there's a there's no like pre-mine on dogecoin there's no like one person that owns a lot of dogecoin from the beginning whereas like if we're talking about ethereum vitalik buterin the founder or one of the founders of ethereum like they pre-mine litecoin or ethereum and there's like a ton of ethereum that's owned by their the founders Whereas you compare that to say like a Litecoin, Charlie Lee, you know, cloned Bitcoin and 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 created Litecoin. Like he sold all of his Litecoin. I believe him when he said he sold it all. I mean, he's like he's a software engineer just like us. He was like director of engineering at Coinbase. It's like he doesn't seem like he's wearing tinfoil hat out there, you know, doing conspiracies. So when he says that he sold his coin in 2017, all of his Litecoin, I totally believe that. Yet, like today, he is like the chairperson of the Litecoin Foundation, and so to me, the there I actually do have I put place some value in the benevolence of 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 Litecoin and Dogecoin because there's not any one person that actually controls it. I guess like I guess Charlie Lee he probably has a stronger voice than most, but there he doesn't he doesn't control the levers. Not financially, the yeah. Or, and, or yeah, yeah, and so then, so then with with Dogecoin, it's like so Dogecoin, it'll be awesome if it gets above a dollar, but the structure of Dogecoin will be such as that it cannot maintain right it because it's an inflation. There's no cap, right? Right, it's inflationary, yeah. and so I think I don't know the I don't know the number. I think it's like a million Dogecoin are minted every day. So if well, ten years from now, if Dogecoin is worth a dollar still. Then that means like Bitcoin will be worth a lot more than that. So I guess that'd be awesome if Dogecoin stays a dollar. However, the the point I'm trying to make is is like actually there is there is value in having an inflationary tech inflationary currency, especially if we're talking about living in in the structure of our current financial the way that our current financial markets work, where there is in, inflation, and so. If I want to be transacting with the digital currency, I don't want to have to be like, say, having an Argentina kind of moment where, like, my 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 one Dogecoin is worth like uh, five dollars American today, and then maybe only three dollars American like a week from now. So to me, that that is, I think there is value in Dogecoin is is in that it's inflationary and that it, it cannot. It will not be as susceptible to speculation bubbles as as other uh, currencies. 
And so I don't know if like I, if you want, if that answers your questions on the value of Dogecoin, but <laughs> that, I, those are a couple of reasons why I think Dogecoin are, is valuable. Now, am I going to be holding a big bag of Dogecoin in 2022? Probably not. <laughs> Just to be honest. <laughs> We're all about honesty, honey badger. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the episodes where we have to have the disclaimer, like this is not financial advice. Please <laughs> consult competent professionals before investing, et cetera, et cetera. Mike, it has been a delight to have you with us. We appreciate your your counterbalance to our coin pessimism that we have amongst mm-hmm. the Yeah, I think we, we needed this. We really needed yeah, this. So really thank did. you. Yeah. Oh. It's been good. Yeah. Oh, I got I got one more idea out there. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully somebody can run with this. Is I think that the I've been trying to get motivated to do some experimentation with the the Bitcoin Lightning Network. We didn't really talk about like these uh, layer two solutions for scaling, but I think that there is there is a lot of potential in like coming up with like a an interesting project that that lays within the Litecoin network, has its value in and of itself, but there's a secondary value of being a node on the Litecoin network where where there's if there's transactions going through your node, I don't know how you'd instrument this, but let's say that Honey Badger actually was that you guys were were taking your payments across your own Lightning node, then all of the transactions that are going across the Lightning network, you're getting a, a small fee, right? So I think that that there's there's like the possibility of like a micro payments kind of play there. Like for instance, yeah. like paying by the exception. <laughs> you know, I mean, literally. <laughs> we, uh, that, that has come up. That has come up in the past. I think at one yeah. point. You can't do micro payments on a credit card, yeah. right? But you can do micro payments on Lightning Network, and I'm not. Yeah. Saying, I'm not selling you guys on this, but I'm saying that there is like there's going to be some nerd out there that's like, oh my god, yeah. micro payments are here. I can do micro payments on on Lightning uh-huh. Network, and then they're gonna they're gonna do well on that on that product, but then they're also gonna do well on the commission that they're earning on on uh, payments going through their node. So, so this like, could be anyway. like used for like like resource based usage based software as a service billing models. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then you get the skim off the top, just like a good affiliate does. Yes. Yeah. yes. I love it. Yep. I love it. All right, Mike, we're going to have to do some scheming together. <laughs> <laughs> well, any, any final words, any parting words besides go buy all the coin that you can? Yeah, don't, don't put all your money into the cryptocurrencies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seems like good advice. Be smart. Founder Quest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word, where you can access our huge back catalog of episodes. Founder Quest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.